0: Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer.
1: Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment.
0: Like what you hear? Have something to add?
1: Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m.
0: Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast for young adults living with cancer. This is your host for the episode, Brady Lucas. On today's episode, we are joined by Gina Klein. Thank you so much for joining us today, Gina. A word to listeners, today's topic may be difficult. Therefore, use your best judgment when listening. Gina, can you please introduce yourself and what you do professionally?
1: Sure. Hi, my name is Gina Klein. I am a social worker in palliative care at Penn State Hershey Med Center. I've been at the Med Center for uh, going on two years. Um, and work with the palliative care team.
0: Awesome, thank you so much for introducing yourself. I personally feel when people hear the word palliative care, they may be afraid, it may be kind of a scary topic to grasp, so can you explain a little bit about exactly what palliative care means?
1: No, of course. So in palliative care, we have a team of doctors, myself, social worker, chaplain, and nurses. What we do is we help people manage their symptoms when they have a serious chronic illness. I think uh, probably the nervous energy comes from a lot of people think palliative care and hospice are synonymous, and they are not. So in palliative care, um, while we do talk a lot about end-of-life issues and concerns, we do not focus primarily on end-of-life. It is on symptom management, what we can do to make people's quality of life better, to improve their quality of life.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing a little bit about that. Can you now go into a little bit of detail on what exactly your role does as a palliative care social worker?
1: I assist the palliative care team, and the team consists of doctors, myself as a social worker, chaplain, nurse practitioners, and I help the patients and the team to work directly with the patients and families in facilitating family meetings, goal setting, advanced care planning assist the patients and their families in making healthcare decisions based on their own personal goals of care, help to ensure that the patient's end-of-life wishes are documented and known by assisting in completion of advanced directives, and protect the rights of patients while promoting their quality of life and also their quality of death.
0: Thank you for sharing all that. And I know it's Not easy things to grasp. So, I'm sure just from your standpoint, obviously seeing people go through it, their family have to go through it. And one of the things that stuck out to me when you were talking is advanced care planning. So, can you walk us through a little bit about what an ACP is, maybe how you go about doing one, and if there's resources that the listeners can use on the internet?
1: So, advanced care planning is making your wishes known by documenting them. Also, more important in my mind is not only the documentation, but the conversation that we have with our loved ones about what our wishes are, specifically at end of life. A big part of advanced care planning is also naming who your healthcare agent would be. And what that means is that if you are unable to make healthcare decisions for yourself, who would you want to make decisions for you? Pennsylvania state law, there's a law called Act 169, which actually tells us who our decision makers are if we cannot make decisions for ourselves. That would be your spouse, adult children. There's actually an order that that goes in. I think what's important here with the power of attorney portion is knowing if that is the person that you want to make decisions for you. Would they make decisions based on what your wishes are? Would they maybe have their emotions play into what decision making they would do if you we're at end of life and needed decisions made for you. Now, some of the documents that we use, there is simple form through Penn State Hershey Med Center that we use called a healthcare power of attorney. We also have Act 169, there are documents they have called the living will. And then there's a document called the five wishes.
0: Now that you've mentioned the five wishes, can you share a little bit more about what the five wishes are, the documents and different things like that?
1: Five Wishes is a longer document than the healthcare power of attorney. Like I said, that's a one-page document. The living will itself is about four or five pages. Five Wishes actually is an 11-page document. and Why it is so much longer is it because it includes a whole lot more detail. So Five Wishes addresses who you want to make decisions for you when you cannot, which I just talked about a little bit ago, what kind of care you would want or you would not want if you found yourself at end of life, how comfortable you want to be. How you want people to treat you and what you want your loved ones to know.
0: Wow, definitely touches upon a lot of serious things. How does someone go about obtaining the resources to the five wishes? Is it something that someone does before they enter the hospital or a state like this? Or is it, you know, what are the
1: processes as far as that? It's actually recommended that anyone over the age of 18 complete an adult advance directive. I know that there are versions for people under the age of 18 as well, but I mainly deal with adults 18 and older. Like I said, it's important to do that before you get into a situation where you can't make decisions for yourself. However, the majority of the population does not have a healthcare power of attorney, a living will, five wishes, any of the documents. I do have one, however, <laughs> many of the, uh, the uh, team that I work with actually do not have one. I think we talk about it all the time. I think the reason for that is that it's just very difficult to think about what if you were in this situation. I think
0: that's something that the listeners A need to hear that anybody over the age of 18 should have one of these. And it's not a scary thing, it's more to ensure that you are in the best state possible and your wishes are obtained throughout. I would also say I think a big point that you hit home is the effect on care providers. And it's not just The individual that's dealing through it, the family that's dealing through it, obviously the care providers are going through this a lot as well. So I would love for you to touch upon a little bit of the 30,000 foot view is one thing looking inside every single day, seeing this, but once it starts to hit home, it's, you know, it's real. So can you talk through a little bit about how you cope with helping individuals with this every single day?
1: since I'm in the hospital all the time, I am in a situation where I am helping people complete these when they are hospitalized. And a lot of times they are finding themselves in a situation where they do have a serious illness or a terminal illness. And it's very difficult to think about the questions are, you know, if you found yourself at end of life, what kind of care you would want? And it's very challenging, not only for the patients to think about that, but like you had mentioned, their, their loved ones and, for people, I guess I'm thinking about the people that don't have their wishes known. Um, for instance, actually just yesterday, I had a family meeting with a young woman whose mom, unfortunately, is unable to make decisions for herself, didn't have it documented what she wanted. And the daughter was really, really struggling, very emotional with what to do, with not knowing what her mom's wishes were. So it was actually interesting in that situation where the doctor that I work with, with our team, we said, you know, if she was sitting here right now and could talk to us and tell us what she wants, what do you think she would want? That relieved a lot of the daughter's anxieties about, am I going to make the right decision, the wrong decision? And I guess the point of me kind of going around to, to that direction is to say, you know, if it's something that she had documented, that she had expressed what she wanted actually is proven. And I'm sure just the anxiety of not knowing, if you could hear it in my voice, is that, you know, to know what your loved one would want really helps with think about the um, anxiety before, uh, grief, you know, afterwards, just help coping in general.
0: You talk a little bit about a daughter making a decision for their mother or a son making a decision for their mother, whoever it may be within that standpoint. And I see there being some barriers to someone completing one of these or making the decision at the end of someone's life. So can you walk through a little bit of the barriers of someone creating their plan for the future? Oh, sure.
1: We have um, heard all kinds of interesting things. Sometimes people believe if you put it in writing, it's going to happen and I don't want to bring evil spirits. We've actually heard that several times. There's a specific religion that believes that culturally, we definitely have had some issues with um, not wanting to, you know, really just deal with the fact that end of life, where unfortunately all of our lives are going to come to an end at one point or another. So, that is a barrier. Um, again, the, the taboo conversations. What would happen spiritually? Uh, I know I mentioned before, but sometimes our religion tells us what we can and cannot accept as far as um, end of life care. But I just think the reality that you are going to potentially deal with this one day. Not all of us, you yeah. know, die in our sleep. Our end of life could be a little bit more thrown out than that. So
0: you've been at Penn State Health for one and a half years now, maybe just over. Can you walk me through a little bit about how you've seen the organization grow within advanced care planning? I know before our speaking today, you shared about some of the councils that you sit on as far as some of the extra work that you're doing. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about what Penn State Health is doing specifically to help individuals with advanced care plans and palliative care?
1: Now, of course. Since I started, actually, there was uh, right when I started, there was an advanced care planning task force uh, that Dr. Newport, our chief medical director of palliative care, was the head of. We have created a brochure which provides information about advanced care planning. We have a website that is active now at the on Penn State site about advanced care planning, and we created the document, the one-page healthcare power of attorney document that we use quite frequently to. Help our patients to appoint medical decision makers. Wow. Definitely
0: amazing resources. Obviously, if you need them at the end of end of life or palliative care, what specifically have you found interesting throughout your career? I know you've worked in many different places essentially within the palliative care field. What have you seen grow maybe within the past 25 years or 20 years of yourself as you've been in the field?
1: Over the years, actually, I was at another health system before I came to Penn State, and they have a whole entire group of people that are solely dedicated to advanced care planning. And that health system uses the five wishes document specifically. So there is a staff, I believe, of six people who full-time do this to reach out to those patients, um, really to have the conversations. first of all, second of all, help with any kind of documentation of the patient wishes. And I think that is outstanding and remarkable to see that that is something that is provided. I know we at Hershey are a little slower, uh, but getting there is with the, everything that we just talked about with the website, the pamphlet, the form that we created, we are definitely getting there. So I see a lot of advancement in uh, patient's autonomy and being able to make decisions for themselves and have those wishes respected and understood For me personally, I definitely think understanding, again, the importance, seeing the effect on the families when they are not aware of what the patient's wishes are. I have seen patients who do not have a healthcare power of attorney appointed. I can give an example of a gentleman that I had who had Parkinson's. His only love in life was to golf. And if he couldn't golf, he really didn't feel he had much quality in his life and he would have been ready to, you know, be at the end of his life. And he had a very severe stroke that he, he was not considered end of life with the severity of the stroke. However, he would be dependent on a feeding tube, on a breathing machine for the rest of his life. Now, he was married and his wife said he would not want to live like this. I don't want the feeding tube. I don't want him on the breathing machine and because, even though they're legally married, because he did not have a health care power of attorney appointed, he was not able to make that decision. So we had to continue, basically the healthcare providers have to err on the side of life. And what that means, continue the feeding tubes, continue, continue the breathing machine for as long as we had to. And I, that was probably one of the most difficult patient cases that we have had. And I think that honed in so extremely important. I use that example all the time now of, you know, without the power of attorney. And at this point, the living will, you know, she knew just based on the conversation. So that wasn't documented, but the power of attorney. So even though you're legally married, that person cannot make that kind of decision without that piece of paper.
0: Yeah. And I think that just brings home, like you said, once again, the importance of the document. It's not to scare anyone. It's not to put it in paper, pen and paper that you're going to frame someone to have to do something. I think it really is just to protect them, protect their wishes. And I you know, think about someone like yourself who is in the shoes, like I said, every day. What keeps you going? I know, obviously, you've been in this field for a long time. What keeps you personally going to want to continue to help patients, want to continue to stay in a field that's often very difficult to be in?
1: That's a great question. (laughs) So when I started at Hershey, specifically in palliative care, I truly struggled with how am I going to do this day in and day out. And one of the providers, um, Dr. Matt Debo, and I, I actually literally said to him in the hall one day, I said, how do you do this day in and day out? And he said that he was actually taught by a pediatric palliative care team that it is an honor to be with people at this time in their life and to help them through this journey. And oh, I told you I'm gonna get emotional, I always get emotional. <laughs> it truly is an honor and I have to remind myself of that probably 25 times a day because, you know, it is sad to see people making some difficult decisions. It's it's hard to see that, especially I have people from 18 all the way up to 90, you know, 90, 100 older. Actually I did have a 100 year old recently. so you know, all ages, all walks of life. So it's, I just have to, again, remind myself, and I think our team, the palliative care team, we have a motto, there's a banner hanging at the the hall to remind us every day that there is always something that we can do. And even if it's only just a little tiny thing, you know, even if um, I'm trying to think, we get a couple Dr. Peppers for somebody, we get some gummy bears for the 31-year-old with the brain tumor that unfortunately can't get out of bed and all he wanted was gummy bears even if it's something as simple as that and being able to be with people at that time and really listen to their stories about you know they're not just a patient in you know bed room 4256 it's a person with a story and their stories are super important. I
0: think when you said as far as the treating someone just like a person is so special and what makes Penn State Health and the hospital, the children's hospital, so special for my personal experience. Just seeing it's not a, you're not treating an illness, you're treating a person. And I think that's so special and what you're able to do to help the family may deal with some of the hardest times that they'll ever have to deal with in their entire lives. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And I know you touched upon too the 18 to 90 or 100, whatever, amount of person. And and this specific podcast is for young adults dealing with cancer. And the unfortunate reality is that some individuals have to start thinking about this stuff, start thinking about advanced care plans and living wills and what they're going to do to leave on their legacy for the future. So can you share with us some of the lessons that you've learned from young adults specifically, as you work with them for advanced care plans?
1: Honestly, when I was thinking about these questions, I had it ahead of time. Really, just the complexity of the young adults. I it was something that was new to me, and I have these young adults that may have their own families. They may have a spouse, they may have children, but they also have parents and they have grandparents, and just the multiple generations of people that are impacted. When you have a young adult, uh, was quite the I don't want to say lesson, but just an eye-opening experience for me that there is such a so many people that are touched by this one individual. And, you know, again, wrapping that around to the advanced care planning, just having your wishes known, of course, but also um, taking advantage of the team of people that we have on the inpatient, the um, childlike specialists that we have that can help, you know, the course that, with my team. But, um, yeah, again, I think just the, the complexity. You talk about the patients are employed. They are Maybe they're independent, living on their own, have their own life, and all of a sudden they find themselves dependent on parents, grandparents, extended family. That has just been a huge a huge loss to address. Um, I think those were the big ones that, that came to mind.
0: And then to keep going off that, what advice would you provide to someone who has to create an advanced care plan and maybe is just hesitant because they're scared as a young adult? What is some advice, maybe some different words of wisdom, if that's the right word to say for them at this point?
1: I think really keeping in mind, I think we go back to the decision maker because you have lots of options, you know, as well, we all have lots of options. But I think about a young adult, we talked about all the generations of people that are involved in their life and being able to appoint somebody that can make decisions based on what you would want, not what they would want. Um, I I know talking to Shelley in the past talked about there was a point in my life where my mom would be my decision maker. I wasn't married. She would be my next of kin. My children were under the age of 18. And my mom would have wanted things for me. She would have wanted to basically keep me alive with everything possible because, you know, I'm her daughter. And yet, you know, as an adult and especially in healthcare, my wishes were differently. So appointing somebody that would make decisions for me based on what I would want. And I would want the same for, you know, any young adult, any person making that advanced directive, living well, healthcare power of attorney.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Because I think that's, you know, obviously one of the things that everybody's hesitant of, but then you have a young adult who may be 18, 19 years old, just out of high school or just out of college or in college or high school. And they're facing this life or death situation, essentially, where they have to create a plan although their plan may be something completely different. They may be thinking about a job or a spouse or whoever it may be. And something stuck out to me, too, about the relationships. So you have family members, grandparents, mom, dad, whoever it may be. But then on the flip side of it, you have the care team. So you have yourself, you have the doctors, the nurses, the child life specialists. Can you walk me through a little bit of the importance of the collaborative approach from the palliative care team, specifically at Penn State Health, but also just in general from your eyes?
1: So the collaboration with the team, with the other teams, the patients and the families, is that what you're referring to?
0: I think just having the
1: resources of everybody working together and being on the same page. Okay. I know the child life specialist in the adult world and I work extremely close together, especially with the young adults and when we have young adults with young children and just making sure that the children are taken care of, that they have the resources that they need to help understand what is happening with their parent, whether it's a serious illness, whether we're looking at end of life um, and just being able to do what's in the best interest of the children with the parent helping us through that decision, if that makes sense. And I'm thinking of an example where we had a young adult in the hospital and her husband wanted the young children to be there as she um, was getting care and unfortunately found that she was at end of life and the the staff were struggling with the fact that these children were in the room with her and being able to help the team of nurses and to understand that that is not our decision, that is not our decision to make, those are not our children, that these are the parents of these children and that is their decision that we need to respect their decision. So that is something that that comes to mind um, with that particular question.
0: Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think that touches upon one of the things that's very interesting is child life specialists within the adult world. People think, you know, child life specialists is going to help in the children's hospital, help the children understand. But child life specialists are needed just as much in the adult world to help explain to parents, children or, you know, grandparents, Grand niece children, and right. nephew, whoever it may whoever it may be in this situation. And I would be interested to hear a little bit more about how you and the child life specialist will collaborate and maybe make sure that the information is age appropriate for the child to understand what's going on in their illness.
1: Now, of course, while the child life specialist is specially trained in helping children with whatever age they are with the appropriate information and the appropriate resources, one of the things that our child life specialist does in the adult world is help with, talked about legacy, legacies earlier today, but even just helping with memory, memory, arts and crafts, I guess I want to call them, but little thumbprints that the children are able to make with their loved one, whoever's in the hospital, whether it was a parent or a grandparent. I'm trying to think how we do um, handprints and the um, beautiful handprints that she does, to thumbprints. Sometimes I've actually been in a room where we had maybe four or five of the children who are drawing pictures and are able to maybe communicate some of their feelings. I know that she uses stuffed animals. I mean, she just has particular books of like age appropriate to help the children. And then actually, part of that is we also refer out to our local local um, hospice agencies that provide bereavement um, or even just uh, support groups for children with serious illness to help. With what's happening with their loved one.
0: Yeah, that's definitely so important. And, you know, thank you for sharing a little bit more about that, because I think that's another resource that's available to patients and their families and caregivers, whoever that may be. You know, luckily at Penn State Health, we're able to have this resource. But if another hospital doesn't have it, look into community groups, reach out to individuals within the community to see if they can help. And I guess that kind of goes to some of my last questions. Is I know you mentioned the website at Penn State Health as far as well as some of the new th- things that you're doing, but what are the best resources for someone to look at if they're looking for advanced care plan techniques, if they're looking for living will, the et cetera, the gamut of resources?
1: I'm partial to the Penn State site <laughs> since I <haven't> created. <laughs> Actually, there's some really great information. All the health systems in the area have information on their sites for advanced care planning. I actually researched a lot of them in creating the uh, brochure and the website. Um, I know the Five Wishes document that we met, mentioned, um, FiveWishes.org. That's a great resource. Um, I went on there in preparation. Just they have not only do they have the actual document, but they have information on how to talk to your loved ones about what is. And the five wishes about what your wishes are, how to have the conversation, when to have the conversation. Um, so there's some really great information on that particular website as well. And then your uh, primary care physician your whatever your team is, whoever your healthcare provider is, uh, would have access to social workers also to give some more information or maybe even, you know, some, besides just finding the information on a website or in a brochure, being able to have a conversation with somebody is super important.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. And then one last question for you is any extra advice or wrap up to share with the the group? I know you mentioned the importance of advanced care planning, the importance of involving the whole family at an early age, essentially. So then the wishes are ensured for the person that wants their, their final wishes. But any other final advice that you would suggest to the group?
1: I think to reinforce everything you just said, it's so incredibly important. And please try and make that very difficult first, very difficult, you know, hard step of saying, you know, let's have this conversation. Hey, I listened to this podcast today. Hey, I was reading this information. This is something that we need to talk about. Um, I'd really like to know what your wishes are. Um, and, And honestly, if anything out of today's podcast, please, please, please consider completing a healthcare power of attorney. That is just appointing somebody to make decisions for you if you cannot. And that is all that it is. So please, please, please consider doing that.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for being here and the incredible individual you personally are, as well as leading the team and helping being part of the palliative care team at Hershey. Although palliative care and advanced planning is difficult, you're definitely ensuring that families have the resources, important resources and information as we discussed today. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today on Life on Pause. Like what you heard? Please share, like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Until next time, keep on smiling. Thanks for listening to Life on Pause. Ideas or suggestions for future episodes? Feel free to share them with us.
1: Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until Until next next time. time.